And welcome to another Care Home Management Magazine podcast. I'm Alan Rustad. Today, as the end of 2023 draws near, we're going to be taking a look at what are likely to be the trends in care homes in 2024. I have with me two people who can gaze into their crystal balls and give us some certainty about what is ahead of us next year. They are Philippa Doyle, who's partner and head of social care at Hempson's Solicitors, and Daniel O'Shaughnessy, Delivery Manager at Digital Care Hub, that used to be known as Digital Social Care. This podcast is once again kindly sponsored by RotorCloud, online software that makes managing your care team's rotors, timesheets, and annual leave easy. So let's get started. And as ever, let's let our listeners know a little bit more about you and the organizations that you represent. So in 30 seconds or so, perhaps you'd like to introduce yourselves. Philippa, would you like to lead us off, please? Yeah, thanks, Alan. Uh, Alan, my name's Philippa Doyle. I'm a partner in the health and social care advisory team at um, Hempson's. We're a national firm of solicitors based in Harrogate, Newcastle, Manchester, London and Southampton. I head up our social care advisory team. I've got 25 years experience of, of working in the sector with uh, both social care providers and also with the NHS, um, particularly on quarter protection work, information governance uh, and CQC advice, which uh, is one of the things that I want to talk about today. Yes, we'll come straight on to that in just a moment. And Daniel, how about you introduce yourself? Yeah. Hi, hi Alan. Hi, Philippa. So I'm uh, Daniel O'Shaughnessy. I'm the delivery manager for Digital Care Hub and the Better Security, Better Care programme. So we're a nationwide programme. We look at the uh, the support for the adult social care sector and free advice and guidance for uh, digital technology, data protection, cyber security, that whole sort of package. And we're fully funded by the Department of Health and Social Care. So it's all free. It's all happy. Please come visit us and, and uh, we'll talk about a bit more about that today. Indeed, we will. Okay, well, thank you both very much for that. Let's begin then with uh, the CQC's new uh, assessment framework. We've been sort of waiting for it for, seems like forever, but it's uh, it has arrived, I think, hasn't it, Philippa, or just uh, in the south of England a little bit. But 2024, at last, should see the full rollout, shouldn't it, I, I think, in, in from your experience? It should, yes. Um, so, as you said, there were um, a small number of early adopters who went live in the South a couple of weeks ago. Um, from today, in fact, the day of recording, the 5th of December, all uh, providers in the South of England and also those in Bedfordshire, Luton and Milton Keynes um, are, are live. From January onwards, London and the East of England get picked up. The end of end of January is a small number of providers in North and the Midlands. And then from February, it's go live for everybody else. And certainly what we've heard from CQC more recently is that they plan to have everybody operational under the new single assessment framework by the end of uh, March. So before we go into the new NHS financial year. So providers listening to this at any point in time may find themselves under the the old or the current framework um, and other providers will be um, operating under the new assessment process and, and CQC are very much focusing on calling it an assessment rather than an inspection now because there's, there's a, a two-stage process to it. It's not just, you know, somebody being in your building and scrutinising everything all the time. 
Yes, and I was going to say, I mean, you're presumably pretty much a walking encyclopedia on this, I know. Um, just in very simple terms, you talk about the two-stage process. Just explain for anybody who doesn't know what that will involve. So it, under the under the old inspection regime, um, you would complete a provider information form, a PIR, sometimes weeks, sometimes months prior to CQC turning up to do an inspection. Um, and that would give them a little bit of information about your service. But predominantly, whilst the inspector or the inspection team are on your premises, um, some of them will lock them away in an, themselves away in an office and say, right, we want all of the following information and staff will be scurrying around trying to find policies and procedures and HR files and some client records and all sorts of bits and pieces for them to look at. Um, all of that is going to go. So the plan is that CQC have got this new fancy IT portal and they will ask for a PIR, and then they will also ask you as a provider to upload to the portal um, specific information that they want to see. So rather than them looking at that information when they come into your service, a team of analysts will review all of that information in advance when you've uploaded it onto the system. So when they do kind of what they call cross the threshold onto your premises, their focus will be hopefully much more relaxed because it will truly be one of observing the care that's being delivered um, in the care home, for example, and will give them the opportunity to speak to staff in a much more um, relaxed way. And interestingly, and I'm sure David uh, Daniel can feed into this as well, They've said that they recognise that providers are at various different stages of digital maturity. So they are not expecting the information to be provided in a one-size-fits-all format. They are expecting that some providers might still be paper-based and might be standing there in front of a photocopier, scanning and uploading information, whereas others will have you know, fancy systems where at the click of a button they can just send through whatever information it is that CQC are looking for. Well, for the moment, let's pause it there and let me bring Daniel in there. From your experience of talking to people that you talk to every day, are they all ready for this? Are they are they worried about the digital element of it all, or, or can they manage with with paper if they have to use paper? I think with everything, Alan, there's always a mix. I know that's a bit of a cop out answer, but the, the, there are some providers who are very very keen and have got entire folders full of stuff on the computer where they're saying, right, the moment we get anything, we can send this to CQC. We've got all the documents nicely happy in a row. And, you know, that's a real luxury of capacity to be able to do that because not every provider will be able to. Um, you know, we know some providers will really struggle to be able to do that, quite honestly, I think. Um, and, you know, we're here to support them. We're here to help them get those digital systems in place. But I think, you know, Philip is completely right when CQC begin asking for some of that information, thankfully they are, they're not just rolling out all at once, but I think even to March is, is is probably quite quick actually, considering how long we've waited for this. It'd be really interesting to see what some of the pilots actually come back with in terms of provider capabilities. Have we had any feedback on that from from the, from where it has been trialled so far? There's, has there been much evidence of people wringing their hands with horror or actually accepting it and, and and not having to worry too much do you know daniel um we've had a little bit of feedback from providers but it, it's been it's been very difficult to know because if someone already has a digital system in place and they like like anything almost if you've already got everything in place it, it can actually be quite easy to provide some of that evidence and it'd be interesting actually to see philippa what you think about whether um, CQC will be asking for things, in fact, you, you, you probably know this and I wouldn't, whether CQC will be asking for things 
just as part of a PIR or is that a sort of ongoing sort of process where you can upload stuff and some of the providers that haven't yet become part of that group have been really quizzing us about that and I'm not quite sure what the answer is at the moment. My understanding is that the two will be treated very separately just as they currently are now that the information you provide in the PIR will be pretty much the same as the information that you currently provide in a PIR whereas the information that they will be required to upload is very much evidence in different categories to answer the quality statements and the quality statements that of which there are 34 are the new tools if you like that CQC assess a service by so the evidence that you upload um, will correlate to a specific quality statement and you will then be scored between one and four as to the quality of the evidence that you're submitting to answer that statement. So four is your maximum score and the points um, in any particular domain. So if we looked at, say, the safe domain, um, you know, there's, there's eight different quality statements. So the maximum score you could get in there is 32. But we're expecting that most providers will be scoring twos and threes in response to each of those eight different questions. So there'll be a mix of providers coming out as kind of requires improvement and good. But you as a service will then be able to see exactly where your gaps are and where your deficiencies are and what you need to concentrate your efforts on. And certainly what I'm seeing and what I'm hearing is that people who are still on the old current inspection right regime might be getting a report back where they've done loads of really, really good work on one area, but then there's a bit of a hole that they fall down in relation to, you know, one particular issue. And so they don't understand then when they why they're getting a requires improvement rating when they they've got this, you know, huge body of really good work. And I think what the point scoring will do is that you'll then see that, oh, yeah, we, you know, we scored a four in response to that question and we got some threes there. But then in relation to one or two questions, we maybe only scored a one and a two. And I think then it might make it more palatable for providers and might make it clearer for the public reading a report that, yeah, this actually is a really good service. But because they had a gap in this one area, that's what's let them down. And that's why the scoring's changed. And do you find from talking to your clients that they've taken that all on board, they understand that? Or is is there still a, I don't know, I don't know whether to call it a, a ring weariness or that this is the QC, QC writing the rules all over again and perhaps they feel in a few years' time they'll change again. Uh, CQC do have this habit, don't they, of uh, of setting frameworks and then resetting them? Yeah, this, I'm being really optimistic and I'm being really positive about this new framework. Um, and I think it has got a lot of potential. But what will be key is whether CQC have got the staffing and whether the IT stands up to scrutiny. Because what's supposed to happen is that it's a different team of analysts who will be reviewing the information that providers upload. And so if you get a provider who has scored, for example, a one or a two in relation to some of their quality statements, um, which has meant that their ratings drop down, that provider can then focus on improving in those areas, re-upload some new information, and CQC should then be able to reassess them 
against that new information that's being submitted so that rather than ratings being set in stone for two, some three, sometimes four years, it'll be a continual process that it might only be a few months where you're, you know, languishing with a rating that you, you're not happy with until you've had an opportunity to pull your socks up and, and get some new evidence in that might then change the rating. But I, the, the proof will be in the pudding really in terms of whether they've got the staff to be able to review all of this information in a timely way yes because it'll take time obviously daniel from what you've heard did do you think they've got the it skills and the people to be able to do all that i think i'm not sure about within cqc but definitely outside of cqc i know we've um, we spoke with mark sutton the digital lead for cqc relatively recently and one of the things he's been quite clear about and very open about so if i if i get the quote up he said um it will be increasingly difficult for uh, providers to get a good or outstanding rating without a digital social care record over the next few years. So I think in, to, to some extent, they are expecting to have all of the tech in place on the provider side to be able to take all of that information in. And uh, Now, we know the government's aim uh, has been looking at uh, an 80% target in terms of having all adult social care, CQC registered adult social care providers, having a digital social care record in place by March 2024. Uh, they announced quite recently that they think they're actually quite quite a bit behind the target, about six months behind the target, mainly due to workforce pressures and so on within the sector. Um, but I think it's a, it's a really brave target for them to set, but I think it has to be in place on both angles. And I think if we're running a little bit behind on the provider side of things, I don't think I'd be that surprised if CQC were running a little bit behind as well. And CQC will have to take that into account as well, I think. It, it, they couldn't possibly not take that into account when they're considering the information providers have and how they'll be able to share that information if they don't have, for example, a digital social care record in place. And, and Philippa, from your experience of your, with your clients, uh, are they now fully on board with digital? Are you still finding some clients who stick to pens and paper? There's a real mix. And a lot of it comes down to, to resources and cold hard cash. And we all know that these are really, really tough times for those providers, particularly those who are solely funded by local authorities. And so if they haven't already been able to put the resources into turning themselves into a decent digital system, then there are still some providers out there who are still using paper-based records. The vast majority are heading in the right direction. Um, There are a, a whole load of providers who are still doing a mix of partial paper and partial digital um, but the, the vast majority of people that I speak to, you know, know what the direction of travel is and know where they need to go. They're just, you know, still on that journey to get there. And is there anything you can suggest to them to help them on that journey a bit further? Because if they are still completely stuck in pens and paper, that's not going to be sustainable for an awful lot longer, is it? No. And, you know, the only thing I can say is to encourage them to get to get in touch with with people like Daniel and his organisation. Um, because the, there is so much support out there to to move everybody into a, a digital world, and there are there are huge benefits in terms of cost savings and efficiency savings with staff. Um, so it's you know it's it's the direction of travel and it's where people need to go. But uh, you know I, I think we all fully recognise that particularly for those smaller family run businesses, um, you know finding the cash to be able to purchase one of these um, big systems. Um, and put it in place is, um, you know, it's a big ask at the moment. 
I'm sure it is. And Daniel, do you find when they come to you, is there still some fear out there that there's always this danger with buying a digital system that you could be backing the wrong horse? If you choose the wrong provider, the wrong bit of software, uh, that could be money down the drain, although I'm sure you'll say it won't be. But there is that danger, isn't there, that you choose the wrong option? No, I actually completely agree, Alan. So there's, it's one of the reasons we've got Digital Care Hub there is, you know, there's like with any market, you know, now that we know this is a government aim, that then springs up a market around this. And, and this is, you know, apart from, I would say, recruitment, it's probably one of the biggest booming markets of, of adult social care at the moment. Um, in terms of the actual support and things that are available, you know, we've got, uh, so we've got the digitising social care team. Now, they're helping to meet that 80% by putting up front up to up to 50% of the cost of implementing a digital social care record via these sort of integrated care systems. So some of that money's there. However, and as you say, Alan, in terms of being able to uh, choose a supplier, they've got this, what's called the assured suppliers list. So they've taken these suppliers through these lists and said, do you have this in place? Do you have this in place? Are you able to do these things that we need you to be able to do, that providers will need you to be able to do? Um, and once they've ticked all of those, they can be on that assured suppliers list and you can only access 50% of the funding for those specific tech suppliers. What I would say is also speak to the suppliers yourselves. Make sure you have a really good conversation with them. Make sure you outline exactly what it is that you need. Um, ultimately, it's a private market. It's private companies. So on first glance, a lot of them will definitely say that they do all of the things and have all of the bells and whistles, but really interrogate them. I would say sit down, have a look through the, some of the uh, Digital Care Hub guidance. Speak to our team if you need to, if you don't feel confident interrogate the suppliers and find out which one does the best thing for you. There will be something out there for everyone. Um, lots of suppliers have different bolt-ons for different things. If you sort of remember how like mobile phones used to work with little bolt-ons for contracts and things. Um, but definitely uh, examine everything that's out there and, and come to the decision that seems to be best for you, I would say. And Philippa, those of your clients who have adopted all this, do you find in the main they're happy with it all, that they're happy with their systems? Or once they've got their systems in place, they're still looking around for something better? There are some early adopters who, who um, you know, went digital quite some time ago who are now refreshing and looking at their options and, and moving across to a different provider. But I think we could all probably say that, you know, in using Daniel's mobile phone comparison that you know there might be lots of people who've switched between android and iphone and and vice versa as to you know what works best for them personally or what works best for them within their organization and i think you know what what we're talking about is just something on a much bigger scale and if particularly as your organization may have grown in the last 10 or you know 15 years since you were an early adopter there might be a product that's on the market now that actually works in a better way or a more efficient way or just a different way that suits your organization a little bit better than maybe the the provision that you have at the moment and when they come to you do you offer them advice or do you just simply refer them on to daniel um i i tend not to get involved on the digital side um you know I, it's that's a commercial decision for their the organization and you know they know how their service operates and what works best for them so they need to have that conversation direct with the with the various different suppliers my role is very much about reminding people and, and ensuring that you know they know what the regulatory requirements are they know what cqc are going to be looking for they know what the evidence is that they need to demonstrate to cqc that they're you know running a safe ship and 
um, delivering really good quality care. So I'm I'm kind of a, a little bit removed from the practicalities in terms of standing there telling them about, well, you know, just remember this is what the regulations say and this is why you're doing what you're doing. And as far as you can tell at this stage in December, looking ahead to 2024, do you think this will progress smoothly? Do we say, are we as confident as that, that uh, CQC can make sure that this all works going into, you know, early 2024 and beyond? I'd like to think so. Um, CQC have had a number of false starts in relation to introducing this framework. And I think they've got to a point now that because they have started consistently rolling out a lot of advice, a lot of information, a lot of guidance on what the different evidence categories will look like, what the first assessment is likely to look like for a provider, you know, I I think they are ready to go. It's just that, you know, final leap into making it happen but they've been very clear with us and they are you know on a weekly basis asking for feedback from everybody around is the guidance good enough and people that have been through the the earliest assessment process are you know very much constantly being invited to give feedback and CQC have also given a commitment to feedback to everybody in sort of June July time next year on how it's going and whether they still need to make any tweaks going forward so it'll be a work in progress but I think they've got to a point where they just need to jump in and see whether they can swim now. You're listening to the Care Home Management Magazine podcast. Is managing your care team's rotors, timesheets and annual leave eating into your workday? Is reliance on agency staff pushing up your wage bill? If it is, then you need RotorCloud. RotorCloud is the online platform that lets you plan rotors, record attendance, and manage annual leave all in one place. It also makes it easy to find cover, letting you quickly notify your care staff when there's a shift that needs filling. It even lets them claim the shifts straight from their phones. Ready to reclaim your workday? Start your 30-day free trial by visiting rotacloud.com forward slash chm and see how much easier managing your care team can be. Let's move on then to uh, Daniel's area, and, and again, it's a similar sort of subject because the government uh, wanted was it eighty percent of uh, care providers to have a, a DSCR by March, which is only three months away. Um, they think they're behind. Well, what's the latest on that, Daniel? How how far behind are we? Yeah, so they they think they're roughly about six months behind where where they expected to be and where they they kind of wanted to be at this stage. I think really main reasons are a workforce, workforce recruitment retention. It's mainly it's not so much the um, the lack of incentives for providers. I think as Philippa says, you know, everyone knows the direction of travel. Um, it's very much been more around how do you implement these systems when you don't have enough capacity. You know, if you're lacking three, four, ten people um, out of the level of care you need to deliver, obviously the level of care as always is 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 the most important thing in terms of um taking care of the service user rather than implementing something new even though we know how imp- implement a digital system will give you more capacity there's almost a bit of a chicken and egg there as to well how do you get the capacity to implement the digital system so okay things are moving perhaps a little bit too slow but for those who have adopted those you speak to uh, are they confident that uh, it's working for them as well as it should be and that they they can sleep easy at night yeah, for the providers that we've done some case studies with, it, it does seem to be we've got quite a few success stories. I think, as with any 
private market, you will get your hits and misses. So you will get people who've just picked the wrong product um, or not really understood what they were buying, which is quite important uh, You know, to repeat the message earlier. Just make sure you're clear on what you're getting and clear what's in your contract and clear what's in uh, exit clauses and so on and so forth. Um, but no, the, the vast majority of feedback actually has been really positive. I've been part of, so I'm also a trustee of a, a supported living provider, and we're we're in in the uh, throes, if you like, at the moment of implementing uh, a new DSCR. Actually, into one of the biggest benefits the staff have said is actually it gives us more time. Um, I was really expecting, you know, better levels of care and so on. They said, well, no, actually, it doesn't doesn't necessarily improve the level of care for us, but it does give us more time to be able to deliver that care, which ultimately is a, an improvement in the quality of care, if you like. And Philippa, are, are your clients saying what Daniel is saying, that they are uh, happy to take it all on board and that generally it's all moving fairly swiftly and smoothly? Yeah, I mean, I, the the vast majority of care staff, without making any generalisations at all, I think are of a younger generation who are used to phones and used to tech. So they pick stuff up really quickly and they're not phased by you know, a new product or a new app or a new way of doing something. And overwhelmingly, the feedback that I hear from different services is exactly as Daniel said, is that it gives them more time. And where it gives them more time, it enables them to either write more detailed notes about what they've done, or it enables them to spend quality time with the people that they're supporting. And rather than it being task orientated that all oh, right okay I've got this certain amount of time that you know this person needs support to get up out of bed and have a shower and get washed and get dressed and I've only got a 15 minute win- window to do that in because they don't have to think about oh well I need to allow five minutes to sort all the medication out and write all the notes up and do everything else before I finish the call they can do it really really quickly on the phone with you know a few few taps and clicks um that they can then spend more quality time with the person they're supporting, find something else out about them that means that they can tailor their care and support and make it more person-centred. The person feels more valued. And so that comes full circle because when CQC come to talk to that person about the care and support they get, they're singing the carer's praises because they've taken the time with them as a person rather than seeing them as a task. I think that Shangri-La of more quality time is what everybody's looking for, uh, however they go about getting there. Very important element indeed. The other thing I was going to mention with you, Daniel, is that something that's, to my experience, has only really cropped up in the last year or so, and that's cybersecurity, because we're used to hearing stories about big organisations being targeted every now and then from, uh, whether it be from Eastern Europe or, or the Far East or whatever it may be, but the growing trend of cybersecurity incidents in social care, that's something that's probably caught us upon the hop a bit, hasn't it? It has, yeah. So when the uh, government started to realise, OK, so we're, we're going to swiftly digitise a sector here and let's let, and let's be upfront about it. It's a very fast digitisation of a, of a large sector. We're talking 26,000 CQC registered sites. There's then a sort of burden upon the government, I would say, to say, well, if you're going to do this, you need to do it securely. And what we've then seen is, you know, as something like this is sort of advertised, if you like, it's broadcast out there that we're going to digitise this sector, that becomes an opportunity for criminals, becomes an opportunity for people to actually come in and say, okay, we can look at previously in the past, you know, it would have been quite difficult to access your service users' data unless you sort of physically broke into the building, went into the filing cabinet, rooted around and things. You might have a staff member that does that sort of thing. Now we're keeping things on digital systems 
you can sort of maybe one click away, one one wrong email away from something going out there. And that's not to scare people, but it but it is a, a sort of real trade-off that we're that we're having to manage between how much do you want to actually efficiency uh, improve the efficiency of our systems versus how much um do we do we think actually we're exposing ourselves to, to more risk? And so that's where uh, as part of Digital Care Hub, we're again funded by Department of Health and Social Care. We have a big program called the Better Security, Better Care program, and essentially that just looks at the cyber resilience of the sector. Um, and you know the the sort of big thing, I guess, um, and everyone always sort of focuses on the, the terrified part and not so much on that. Well, here's what you can do. And I think when we all think about you know a, a sort of hacker, we think about this you know 14 year old Russian boy in a bedroom frantically typing away at a keyboard. When in reality, actually, it'd be really interesting actually to do a, a, a quick sort of case study with yourselves. If, if I asked both you, Philip and Alan, uh, would you say you're regularly the victim of a, of a cyber attack, or do people attempt to, um, you know, cyber attack you regularly? What would what would your first initial response be? What would yours yes. be, Philip? You can first. My, my, mine would absolutely be yes, both personally um, and as a solicitor. You know, I, I just the sheer volume of emails that I have come through on my personal email account, the vast majority of which I know are all absolute nonsense and, yeah. you know, I, I just ignore. And certainly at work, our, you know, with, with being solicitors and being so heavily regulated, and again, because we're dealing with so much data, I sit on our information security committee within Hemsons and we've got, you know, firewalls and really sophisticated IT systems that trap so much information and before we send any email out of our system it's you know kind of got fail safe additional checking in it that you have to verify that this is actually the person that you want to send this piece of information to and if you're sending an attachment again it's wanting you to double check the attachment because you know the when we're dealing with you know people's medical records as as we often are that is the most sensitive data for a lot of people or if we're dealing with a commercial transaction for an organization you know they don't want that information to go out into into the ether so you know you you can have systems and processes in place as much as you possibly can but ultimately you know we are humans who are operating machinery so we need to have that kind of fail safe check in ourselves as well that just like you know you wouldn't put you know you, you wouldn't put something through the wrong uh, wrong front door when you were posting an envelope you know you need to think about it in the same way to make sure that you're not sending something to you know the wrong recipient by email particularly when people have got such similar names sometimes yes i'm sure that's right and as speaking for myself as a humble freelance i haven't got all that the, the depth of uh, backup that obviously philippa has but i've noticed an awful lot more spam messages coming through on my mobile phone i mean yes emails you can you can shut them away or they go in the spam folder but all of a sudden, mobile phones are being targeted in quite a big way as well. And I would imagine staff in care homes are using mobile phones quite often to record data as they go around the, from client to client. Yeah, and um, this is one of the big things, isn't it? So you bring your own device policy, for example. Um, really, it's about a lot of it is about the processes, as Philip has said. You know, what, what processes have we got? And what training have we got? Because ultimately, the human is usually the weakest point in any system, usually weak in, in the sort of term of attack. Um, so really, it's about what processes we've we got, which isn't unusual for social care. But if we think about our safeguarding, we look at what processes we've got, we look at what training we've got for our staff, and we look at what the regulator says. And it's exactly the same, really, for, for, for cybersecurity. So we look at what's called 
the data security protection toolkit, which about 77% of uh, residential services are completed. So it's a self-assessment checklist, goes through all the policies and procedures you should have for data protection and cybersecurity. So that will be first stop for your processes. Uh, and then in terms of your sort of training for your staff, uh, Digital Care Hub have just launched a new e-learning module. So it should be available on most of the uh, learning management systems and it'll be available on our website as well, completely free. And that will, again, suitable for all levels of staff, whether it's your registered manager, whether it's your people on the ground, um, which sometimes is your registered manager, depending on your workforce problems, uh, who'll be able to go through that training and be able to say, okay, now I feel a bit more secure. I feel like I know what the threats are. And once you remove all of the sort of technical jargon from it, it's actually not dissimilar to a lot of the other things that we deal with, as I say, safeguarding, processes, regulator, training for people. Well, it sounds like from both of you, as regards to the sort of legal side of things and the digital side of things, things are in place for a very good 2024 to come along. If we were all to meet again this time next year, uh, do you think it'll be that smooth? How about you, Philippa? Do you think uh, life is going to progress serenely through 2024 for you? I don't know about me personally, but for, for providers, I think whether a provider progresses serenely through depends on how much they embrace and how much they prepare for presenting evidence in the way that CQC want to see it. For those providers that kind of bury their head in the sand and focus on excuses as to why they haven't done something rather than being proactive, those are the providers that have always suffered and I think will continue to suffer. Those providers who hold their hands up and say, do you know what, you know, we're not perfect, We've identified these deficiencies. This is what we're doing to address those deficiencies. You know, those are the ones that um, that that will do well. And provided that there is sufficient funding in the sector, and provided that you know the government come through and work with the sector to to ensure that the level of fees coming through is the right level. You know, it's great that they provide all this digital support, but actually, what providers need is more money on the ground. You know, they're, they're promising, you know, increased staffing, you know, wages and the li- real living wage going up and all of those costs. But providers still need to be given the money to be enabled to pass that on to staff. Um, and there's still that real blockage in the system and a reluctance to recognise that social care is the one that is, you know, supporting the NHS and that the two have to be you know, managed hand in hand, not just, you know, throw a whole load of cash at, at the NHS. It, it, they need to work together. I'm sure that's absolutely right. And Daniel, from your perspective, 2024, is, you'll be still providing all that information and getting more and more clients worked into the, the digital way of working. Yes, definitely. So from our point of view, uh, so we're funded by the Department of Health and Social Care, at least until March 2025. So we've got 2024 there. We will be there. We're not going anywhere. Um, in terms of actually how providers will progress i think broadly agree with philippa you know it's a tough market out there i think right now and i think providers the the ones who are ahead i think will be you know hopefully will be able to stay ahead and i I really optimistically hope that those who are maybe struggling a bit more um might be able to access some of that support and help to be able to improve um sort of wants to touch on a point that a really good point i think philip was just made there which is you know cqc have become um, they're obviously looking for a digital system. And I think what's really important as well is it's about how they meet those quality outcomes rather than just, um, so when we've talked to CQC, for example, they've said, some providers have said, yeah, 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 we have a digital system. 
It's not about the brand name on the digital system. It's not about having a digital system. It's about how does that lead to those outcomes? And I think that will be the critical part, both for service users and as well, let's face it, for CQC, who are going to look at that and say, well, what are the actual outcomes if you have in this system? Um, if you've implemented this system poorly, or you've chosen the wrong system or so on, and it's led to worse outcomes for your service users, then it seems fair that CQC would then look at that and say, well, this is reducing you, you know, not not kind of complying as much as, as we would like you to with, with the regulations. Well, thank you both very much for taking part. And here's to a happy 2024. That's all we have time for today. My thanks go to Philippa Doyle, partner and head of social care at Hempson's Solicitors, and Daniel O'Shaughnessy, delivery manager at Digital Care Hub. This has been the Care Home Management Magazine podcast on care home trends for 2024, kindly sponsored by RotorCloud, online software that makes managing your care team's rotors, timesheets, and annual leave easy. I hope you've enjoyed our discussion today. As ever, we have more podcasts on the way for you, so I hope you'll join us again soon. But for now, goodbye. Goodbye.